Welcome everybody to another lunch hour with Renault. Uh, an hour where you eat lunch and we hang out with Renault. It's a really fun, exciting time, and we're excited. Now that to you be put here. it that way, I'm I'm actually a little ticked. Look, we talked about it when you. I were never in... thought about it that way before, but now I'm now I'm actually a little irritated. I mean, you could always eat, <laughs> you eat lunch, but... and I gotta sit here. <laughs> you get to hang out with Renault. It's it's a benefit to them. I'm super happy you're getting to eat lunch. <laughs> I just want to say that right now. Well, uh, I'm. <laughs> We're really excited to be here, if you we can't are. tell. Uh, I'm are. your host today, Justin Neal. Uh, with me are Renault and Joel, which you all know pretty well from just this moment, and then other things here at Mosaic as well. Uh, I'm really excited to be here and continue the conversation through our vision here at Mosaic for 2019, which really has been about sharing the gospel. Uh, what does it mean to be a gospel voice and a gospel presence, not separate, but both of those things here in our city. Um, and that's been a really cool journey so far, and we're excited to do that again today. But when we talk about sharing the gospel, I think that it brings up a really valid and important question. What is the gospel? Sure. Um, sure. You know, if you've been around here at Mosaic for any amount of time, uh, you'll know that the gospel is what is central um, of it, and, and the most important thing to us. It, it defines decisions that we make. It helps shape our vision. Uh, it informs how we engage in different areas of ministry. Um, it really has become everything for us, and rightfully so. But, but it's sometimes easy to kind of like forget uh, what, what is the gospel. And so we want to be able to equip everyone here with us today to be clear exactly on what is that gospel. If we're going to go share it uh, through our words and our deeds, we want to be really confident in knowing that we're speaking truth and we're sharing truth with people. Um, and so we're really excited to jump into this conversation and hear what is the gospel. But before we do that, we want to take a moment and say hey to some of our friends that are here Sweet. with us today. Uh, we've got John and April Gill. What's up, guys? Uh, we are excited about that. Uh, we got Lauren Kaufman. And Ayo. baby, she cute. She's Joel's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Natalie Gonzalez and Craig Shoemaker says, "Hey guys, what's up, Craig? Great Hello, to see you, buddy." So we're excited to jump into that, um, and and we again are really pumped to be here talking about that. But let's start with what is the gospel? We talk about the concept, and we really want to start there of knowing what is the truth that we say is important to us. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, at the end of the day. Um, as we get ready to go out and to share the gospel in a way that is not uh, driven by an agenda, but it is the sharing of this extraordinary encounter that we've had and this extraordinary reality under which we now live, the freedom in which we now live. Uh, We want to make sure that though I think to a certain extent we have in our minds what the gospel is, when you actually push someone and say, "Well, well, what is it? To define it is is tricky unless you kind of go, oh, no, I, I do. And it's not difficult to define it at all. It's just that we don't always know. So what, what we do want to do today is walk through um, all of the different parts of the gospel um, and specifically walk through the story of the gospel. In other words, what is this story that is the gospel? But also the uh, you might say the skeleton of the gospel, the theology of the gospel, the doctrine of the, th- the gospel. What are the markers that help us understand the integral workings of the gospel? And, uh, and I'm really excited to do that. But before we jump into gospel story and, and gospel uh, theology and doctrine, uh, I think I love to start whenever, for my own self and when someone asks me, what is the gospel? I love to start where the apostles that authored scripture started, because it's always a really good place to start. And I think probably the best pure definition of the gospel, just here's the gospel, is actually found in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, and in, uh, in this letter, here's, here's what it says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, verse 1, uh, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So Paul's saying, I preached a gospel to you, the gospel to you. And I'm about to remind you of what that was. So we're going to get a a definition here, hopefully, of the gospel. And then he says this, um, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says this, 
for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then, uh, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So he's basically saying, here's the good news, that Jesus came, that he took on our sin, that he died because of taking on that sin, that he was buried. In other words, he didn't just like feign. He was buried. He resurrected from the dead, taking care of our sin. And this is great news. So I would just start here. The great news, the gospel is this, that he came for us, that he came for us. That's incredible news. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is if that's the gospel, that's the great news, why is this great news? Yeah. So it is great news that he came, but you almost go, okay, he came, why is that great news? And then we get into the implications of the gospel. The fact that he came and the reason that he had to come and the reason it's good news that he came is what? And we find that unpacked throughout the scripture, but my favorite little summary of that is found also in a letter Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And there he sequences through some very important facts about the implications of the gospel. He starts this way, for you were dead in your transgressions. So we know we were dead, spiritually dead. So that's bad news. Then he says, but God, because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. So we were dead, but now we're alive. That's great news. Then he says, and he has an inheritance for you so that he will place you at the right hand of the Father and share in that inheritance with Christ. In other words, he has a future for us that is not death but life now. That's great news. And you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works I've prepared in advance for you to do. We've been restored to our created purpose, which was to be able to know God, which we couldn't do as spiritually dead, and be able to make God known, which we couldn't do as spiritually dead. So we are rescued, we are redeemed, our future, and we are restored, our present. The good news is he came for us. The reason it's good news is because we were dead and now we're alive. We were lost, now we're found. We were, we were blind, now we see. We were, we, we were bound, now we're free, right? Yeah. And so there's the gospel. There it is. And then what scripture does is in these summaried versions, it now takes the whole story of scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And that whole story is essentially the detailed unpacking of the gospel. Uh, the story of the gospel. And that's where we get into the narrative of the gospel, which we're about to do. Yeah, I, I personally love when we unpack the why. Like, what, we talk about it being good news, uh, and conceptually, that's awesome. And we're like, man, what a sacrifice. That's powerful, you know. But then when it becomes the why, like, why is it good news to me? I think when we talk about sharing the gospel, that's such a vital component because you're sharing it with people who don't believe what you believe necessarily and so you've got to be able to connect the truth and beauty of the story to the individual without without compromising the truth but doing it in a way that's contextually relevant to the person who's receiving it like why would it be good news to you you may connect with different pieces than joel would and then i would that's right but the truth remains the same and i think that's a really beautiful thing yeah i mean the reality is you know i love that where we're starting this conversation is you don't understand how the good news is good news until you understand why Jesus had to come, what the purpose of that. And that's found in the rest of the pages of Scripture, that whole story yep. uh, narrative of the gospel uh, from Genesis uh, 1 all the way to the book of Revelation. is really, it's, it's beautiful. How yeah, and so the goal would be, as we want to understand the gospel in, in all of its clarity, in its simplicity and its in compl- in its complexity, and we want to be able to share that articulately and accurately with others, right? Then we sort of layer backwards. The good news is that he came for us. We've kind of got that layer. So, we get, so as we're sharing with people, we'll get to that. There's the good news. The reason it's good news is because we were dead and now we're alive. But then a question emerges, right? So how, how did we get dead? 
So if we're dead, how did we get there? So then you have to layer backwards. And that's where the rest of scripture comes in, where you go, oh, there's a reason that we're dead. And that's described in Genesis, in the story of the gospel. And then the understanding of how we became dead or why we became dead is found in the doctrine of the gospel in Romans. And so what we get to do now for the rest of the hour is kind of go back and say, let's look at the story because the goal would be this. When I'm done sharing the gospel with one of my friends, I should have answered all of those gospel questions. I'm not going to answer every question that planet Earth holds and every uh, part of every little nuance, but I am going to be, a- be able to answer all of the important questions that, that answers what the gospel is and why it matters. And I think, I think the biggest like existential questions that humanity has are answered in the gospel. In, in the gospel. Why are we here? <laughs> why is the world the way the world is? What has gone so terribly wrong? Um, all of those kinds of questions that, I mean, every generation has wrestled with, every culture has wrestled with for thousands and thousands of years is found in the story of the gospel. And so for us, as we sit and have conversations with people um, who don't understand why we believe what we believe and, and, you know, we're wanting to share the gospel with them, their biggest felt questions, the, the, uh, the huge questions of life are all found in the story of the gospel and so that's why we're here and that's why we're talking through absolutely i'm excited to jump into some of that before we do that we've got quite a few people who've joined us um if you have just joined us and uh we first want to say thanks and welcome uh today we're talking about what is the gospel in the context of you know our vision for this year and sharing the gospel it's important for us to start with well what even is that and so we're about to spend a little bit of time unpacking more in depth what you said like why is this good news to understand that we have to understand why did Jesus die and and those things we're really excited to do that but we want to say hey to a few people we've got Yara uh, hey Yara Yara. we got Patty and Obi Uh, we got Emily and Mike Mitchell we got tons of Mike Mitchell we got Dave Dunbar and Christy Reynolds Lisa Landis hey guys Christy's my pal she she does ASL here she's awesome yeah which is an awesome thing Um, we got Lulu and Gabriel Crawford we got Jerry Gwynn Gavin Orr hey guys we are really excited to have you here with us great to have you guys with us Um, so so Renaud when we talk about that getting on a deeper level understanding why the gospel is good news and in order to do that understanding why Jesus had to die that takes us like you mentioned to the beginning of the story where yeah. do we what do we find when we go there and really that helps us link that to why, why did Jesus die and therefore why is it good news yeah so um, that's a that's a great question and I think you know as we step into looking at the story this is always a good starting point I love starting with the story rather than with the doctrine or theology and it's kind of like I think about a car when I go and buy a car I, I, you know, I don't look online at pictures of cars and start with the engine. Now, there are a few people that do. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But they're a very small part of the population because they understand things I don't understand. Right, right. But for most of us, we look at pictures. Then we go to a dealership, and the dealership shows us the car. Show, we get in it. We sit in it. Is it comfortable? Does it work? We take it for a test drive. They might pop the engine and say, look, it looks really cool. And for most of us, we're like, looks fantastic. <laughs> looks great. Right? Yeah. For some, they're going to be like, I have some questions. The doctrine, which we'll get into, is popping the hood and kind of looking, here's how it works. But what we really want to show people and what we want to understand is, here's the car. I mean, this is, this is what you're going to be driving. So where does the story begin? Well, it's, it begins in the very beginning of time. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have this revelation from Scripture that there is behind everything that we know and see a creator, a person that made this. I, I know that our world has a lot of... Um, uh, lack of clarity on that. Many don't even believe that there is a creator. We'll get into that another time. But the Bible tells us that we were created. And in that creation, we were created for two primary purposes. To know God. And that's not just like a knowledge of God. To experience God. The knowing that is I know. And that means to experience freedom. To experience joy. To experience uh, peace. To experience uh, a lack of anything dark, difficult, sinful. We were made to just know what it is like to know God, right? To be free. And then we were made with this purpose beyond just knowing God, but to be able to make him known. 
So we were called the image bearers of God. We are subordinate to God. We are not God. Uh, we are not embodying God. We are human. But what we are, we are essentially what the moon is to the sun. We are the reflection of the glory of God to other things. It, it, it demonstrates God. So the way that we experience God, then we live in that experience, makes God known. And as the rest of the creation looks in, they should experience what God is like as they encounter humanity. That was God's original. That's right. That's right. And then creation that is around us, the garden we were placed in, the, the, the universe shouts at us also God's glory. So everything was created to reveal God, to glorify God, and to show God beautiful because he is all those things, right? The enemy of God came into our story. So the story begins with creation and the purpose of creation. So when you're sharing the gospel in the narrative, the simple start is this. God created us to know him and to make him known. In other words, to know freedom perfectly and absolutely and to live in that freedom and in so doing make God known. There's where the story begins. That's great news. I mean, that's pretty cool. But then the enemy of God, also created by God, enters our story and he convinces us, the human race, through Adam and Eve, that God is holding us back, that his divinity is our prison, not our freedom, which is not what God said, and that our true freedom is to, uh, is to come out from under his authority and to gain our own authority, to usurp authority, to become our own God. So he says he doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he doesn't want you to know what he knows. Because what, what is knowledge, right? If I know what he knows, then I can be like him, not as an image bearer, but as an equal. I will embody that. I will be my own divinity, and I can write my own story. And Adam and Eve voluntarily made the decision to ignore God's command and to choose their own way. And just as a, as a side note here, I, I, I always tell people... Um, I think oftentimes when I've shared the gospel, I can see it in people's eyes or they verbalize it. They're like, well, it's like taking a two-year-old and saying, don't touch the toy. And then you walk away and you're like, they're going to touch the toy. It's not fair. Adam and Eve had no chance of survival because there's the tree. Don't touch it. But remember, we are assuming somebody with sin in them already. So when we have a sin nature, our driving force is disobedience. That's why you never teach a one or two-year-old how to manipulate, how to lie, steal, uh, destroy, not share. I mean, you work a lifetime to weed that out of them. And even then, I mean, here I am, still a two-year-old, right? Um, so in many ways, our bent as, with a sin nature is to disobey. So yes, when you tell us not to do something, we're like, oh, got to touch. What if you actually lived in the opposite end of that bent? In other words, the power it took not to disobey was easy for you. But to disobey, you had to violate your nature. So just like what it takes a two-year-old to hold back, it would have taken Adam and Eve to choose. Because and, that's they, why, and that's why it took God's enemy, Satan, coming to yeah, deceive them to deceive into them. making that choice. It's because so crazy. In, yeah. in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve everything they needed to experience yeah. life and freedom himself. Most importantly, uh, the Bible records that God would walk with Adam and Eve during the cool of the day. Right? That's such a cool thing. Beyond that, he gave them every seed-bearing plant that they would need to yeah. eat. They had perfect provision. They didn't have to work the ground like that, uh, that in order to be yeah. able to have provision. Yeah. Um, they they uh, had everything that they needed, and there was only one thing that they could choose to disobey. Yeah. And so they had all of these good choices yeah. Yeah. and a good nature, yeah. but then they were given one choice and one yeah. way of rebellion. Yeah. And it, it required the deception of God's enemy for them to step into And the rebellion. violation of their very nature. Right. And remember, they were doing it with no need, no insecurity, no fear, no nothing driving them. Yeah. We are driven by all these things. Yeah, right. They were driven by nothing. Yeah. So they violated what they should have chosen. Like I sometimes look at it and think, it must have taken everything for them to disobey. In other words, what a voluntary, absolute ignorance of an an act of rebellion. So they choose that. And instead of getting divinity, 
the very thing God promised they would get, they got, which is the enter the entry of sin, which is which fruit is death. Yeah. Sin's fruit is death. It, so think of sin as a virus. This is helpful when I try to describe to people because I think people think of sin as a behavior because that's what we have perpetuated a lot of times. Uh, we go to people and we say, have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you ever, you know, and then they're like, yeah, yes. And like, see, you, you are a sinner. But I'm like, yeah, th- those are the symptomatic realities of a virus. What the Bible describes to us is that the point of that disobedience into not only the human race, but into creation itself, that was the doorway for a viral reality to enter, a thing called sin that would have impact, just like a virus then affects your body and you start breaking down and if it's a, if it's a very dangerous virus it will break you down and you will die that's what sin does it begins a work and suddenly the sniffles show up except our sniffles was uh, insecurity which led to deception which led to lying which like like our symptoms were all these behaviors but it was it was only to say you have this virus well this virus its end was to kill everything it, it entered it entered us it entered creation so all of it's now going to die it is on this path of destruction, not just temporarily, but eternally. And so the creation story is a story of what we were made for. And the story of the fall is what we voluntarily chose as a human race. And in so choosing what we received, we received sin and death. And that then tells us the story as to why Ephesians chapter 2 starts this way. You were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. You see, you weren't dead in your behaviors. You were dead in this virus. Your end was terminal, period. You had a terminal disease. And there was nothing we could do to affect that terminal disease's healing. We were stuck with it. Yeah, and I think in, you know, in him is life, right? Yep. And so when we sinned and rebelled against God, we were separated from God in relationship. And so the very nature of our connection to God was eternal life. But then when we, we sinned, we broke relationship with God and the very nature of being broken in relationship with God is death. And so God had a plan from the beginning to rescue us. And, and, yes. and that leads us to the next part of the story yes. that, that if God had left us to ourselves, we simply would have died and the story would have been over. But instead, God, God planned to rescue us. And I love that um, you know, when we talk about the story, um, a lot of times I think we think of the story in human terms that there's a problem and then a solution and that there's a reaction, that, that, that there's a problem and now we need to react to that solution. And we think of the story of the Bible as this problem that takes place with sin and then, and then Jesus is God's reaction to that problem. But actually the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the plan A from yes. the very beginning yes. and that he was, uh, you know, Revelation says that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So yep. God created us um, knowing that we would sin, knowing that we would rebel and yet loved us enough to plan to sacrifice himself yeah. for us. I mean so ultimately crazy. even God's creation is a preservation of our story, right? Right. Uh, like it's not just he created us and then we blew it and then he preserves us, preserves us, preserves us and then Jesus comes. By creating us, knowing the reality of the story, he preserves us by creating us because if I were God, I just wouldn't have created us knowing what was coming. But he creates us. Then right. after we sin, yeah. he preserves us through the law and through the sacrificial system. But it also establishes for us a picture of the symptoms of sin, right? So the Old Testament is this beautiful declaration from God to say, do you want to see what sin does to the human race? Here it is. And do you see what I've done in response to that? I'm with you. I'm protecting you, I'm preserving you, I'm sustaining you until I can ultimately rescue you. But the until isn't I'm waiting because I have to wait. The until is I'm demonstrating a story to you. Yeah, that's the right. Old Testament wasn't God going, Jesus is just getting changed. Uh, you know, he'll be downstairs in a minute, but I'll keep you together until he comes. It was, I, we need to see what sin does because if we don't see what sin does, then we will not know why we need Jesus, which means we will not know why it's good news, which means it won't be good news, which means we will stay dead, right? Yeah. So it's almost like a people with a virus that they were unaware of and we needed the symptoms of that virus to demonstrate that we needed this solution. So yeah. ultimately, in simplicity, we're created with an incredible purpose. We choose to violate that purpose in nature by choosing our own way. We get the virus sin, which then creates destruction. 
We see that destruction play out throughout the Old Testament in the way that the people behaved, and we see God's preservation temporarily through the law and the sacrificial system, and through the law and sacrificial system painting a picture of the righteousness we have to attain that will come into the theology of the, of the um, gospel in a minute that we can't attain, and the, um, the sacrifice it will take to attain it. So the law shows us righteousness, and the animals having to die shows us the price of unrighteousness. You with me? Yeah. And then into the picture comes the rescue, and that is 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. I give to you what has been given to me, that right. he came. <laughs> that he yep. came, that he took on sin as the scripture said he would, that he died under that sin and that he rose from the dead conquering that sin. There's the good news. Yeah. There's the good news. And I, and I think we've got a really, what I think is a really powerful question here um, that I think, especially as we talk about equipping our people to share the gospel, yeah. is something really important to get into. Yara asks here, uh, she says, dumb question, which I, I don't believe this is a dumb question. But since God knows everything, why did he allow the enemy to tempt Eve? And I think that that's a question that a lot of people, you know, uh, earlier Amy Tanner shared uh, that the picture for most unbelievers is that they are not in need of truth. Like, it's a disconnect. Like, I don't believe this, so I don't need this. Mm, yeah. And this is one of the reasons and questions that get asked a lot. Like, if God knows everything, why did he even allow this story to happen? And so... I would be really curious to hear your thoughts on, on as this engages in the gospel story, we, we know that God is good, we know that this is good news, we know why we need it, but why in this story did God allow that piece to happen? That is a fantastic question. Yeah, not a dumb question. And, and here's, what I'm, here's what I'm going to do with that question, okay? Next week, we are actually going to be digging into some of the challenges to the gospel story creation and what people believe about creation and how do we, when you're dealing with all of the different creation uh, opinions out there uh, and realities, how do you engage? Uh, Why would God allow certain things to happen in the story? Um, What about resurrection and how do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Because when we, when we talk to people, these are the questions that come up and next week we're going to, we're going to really weed through a bunch of those. The reason I'm going to, if you don't mind, Yara, pass this question on to next week, which if you can't be here with us at noon, it'll still be on Facebook after that, okay. is because if we get into that question now, that's a five to eight minute question. And then the simplicity of the narrative of the story that we're trying to go through will derail a little bit just in terms of the muddiness of adding all this. So unbelievable question. I'm going to baton it to next week. Yeah, so tune in for that we'll, next we'll toss week. toss it to next week. Because that, the, I'm glad that we're spending some time Because we have answers for that. it, by the way. Because there's a lot of people who have a lot of those questions, and as we're trying to equip people to go and be a gospel voice and presence in the community, they're going to have those. Absolutely, so and, really and we good. want to answer them. But, but we actually, Joel and I talked about it this morning, doing it in this session, and we realized... There's so much to cover in both the gospel story and the gospel doctrine. And then to add all those possible questions in, it'll be, a, it'll be complicated. So we're going to split it into two weeks. Yeah. So Yara, great question. We'll do it. Yara says that she will be here Excellent. Uh, next week. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so we're, much. We're, so. We're, just, we're just reeling her along. Yeah, keep, <laughs> you know, come on, Yara. We love how you were here last week, too. I know it. <laughs> so, so we don't want to get too far off of the narrative, right. which we're journeying through. It really, you know you set the stage with the sin and the brokenness and that right. leads us to this question of like, so what hope is there? Yeah. And, and you touched on it briefly. It's Jesus. Jesus but, comes. But how is his engagement in the story transformative right. to the future of it right. and, and us as individuals? Yep. So from a story perspective, <clears throat> Jesus enters the story. We look at his life. We look at his teaching. We look at his authority. We, we look at what he does while he's on the planet and, and he begins to, to show himself Messiah, right? He fulfills all the prophecies from the Old Testament. He uh, teaches with authority and power. He does powerful things and he declares himself Messiah over and over and over again in the Jewish context of that time. By the time he's coming toward the end of his life, it's very clear he's the Messiah, but they're all expecting him to overthrow the, the city of Rome and the Roman Empire, and instead he dies on a cross. And, and everybody's like, what? Rome is stronger than we thought they won. But then Jesus raises from the dead, and we find out he wasn't here to overthrow a nation for another nation. He was here to overthrow sin and death for the human nation, right? Mm. And so that's a pretty incredible thing. 
And that's revealed in the doctrine and theology of, of the, the gospel. So what we're going to do is I'm going to finish the story out. I'm going to keep going. But when we get to doctrine and theology, I'll show you how the doctrine and theology then answers the question how Jesus did that or how he's doing that or how he will do that, right? So, so Jesus does this work that is the gospel, the good news. And then in that work of the good news, the gospel story says our rescue takes place there. What does rescue mean? He takes the virus that we have and essentially absorbs it into himself. He takes on the sin of the world, right? He conquers the virus. And by his righteousness, by his death, by his resurrection, we are healed of this virus called sin as an eternal um, uh, end for us. So there is still the reality that we live in exile, or what we might say, in a home that's not ours. So we live on a planet of sin, in a body of sin, so we still experience some realities of that virus symptoms, but the ultimate end of the virus, death, is no longer ours to face eternally. That's what Jesus does for us. Then, after he does that, there is this promise in scripture then, since I'm rescued, I have this eternal story, this incredible life, because as Joel said earlier, now that I'm reconciled to God, when you are with God, you are with life. Your consequence is life. Separation from God, death. Uh, intimacy with God, life. And my intimacy with God is established by the work of Jesus, which is why it's great news uh, that he came. So ultimately, the gospel story is very simple. I was created with a purpose. Here's my purpose. The human race chose to violate that purpose and their nature by choosing their own divinity. They got sin and death instead, and they died. The, the whole story died. God preserved us and then rescued us through the great work of Jesus coming to this planet. The good news, the gospel. That's what the gospel is. And because he's rescued us, right, we now have a hope and a future, an eternal hope and future where we will not only live with purpose now, our purpose restored, but with a redeemed future, our future intact, a future of life. And that's the gospel. And then what the scripture says is, Jesus, to receive Jesus as your savior personally so that you are the recipient of his work, the gospel, to be set free from the virus, sin, with the fruit, death, you just have to trust him. In other words, trust meaning I believe that he did that and I trust his righteousness instead of my own. It is the opposite of what happened in the garden. Do you see the reversal there? Yeah. The garden said, don't trust him trust you. And they did. Now, isn't it ironic and beautiful that our way back in isn't to do something for God. It's just to reverse what happened in the garden. I can't do anything. I trust your divinity. I trust your authority. I trust your work for me so that I might be free. It is literally a reestablishing of what was intended in the beginning. And so faith is not an easy way out. Mm. It's actually for humanity uh, the, the, the hard way now because it's saying, no, you don't have to do anything because that would be on you. You'd be able to go, whoop, whoop, look at me. Yeah. Right. You just have to believe and trust. And belief and trust then scripturally is um, articulated not as just an intellectual event, but if I actually believe this is Jesus and I actually trust him, then I'm going to follow his way which is found in the word and my life will begin to transform into a Christ likeness as I follow his way, which is part of Bible theology. That's what, yeah, we'll get into that. But I do think that the, you know, as you follow the narrative of the story, it is beautiful to see that as the story progresses from creation to fall, then to rescue and to restoration, that it all does come full circle. So you see that, um, that, uh, the rescue of Jesus is an answer to the problem of the fall and that the restoration that comes as we enter into the rescue of Jesus, that becomes the answer to what went wrong with the creation. So you see how that plays out. So you have creation, which goes wrong with the fall, which is answered by rescue, which is now redeemed through restoration and now we're back at creation but here's what's so crazy cool we don't God's plan of salvation is not to bring us back to the garden of Eden mm. I think a lot of times we think of the goal of 
the, the gospel story to, to go back to a, a state of Eden. But it's actually better than that because in the Garden of Eden, there was still that tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was still that possibility of us making a decision to mess it all up, which we did. But what's amazing is that in the, in the restoration, we see this new creation that God is going to make. And Revelation 21 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But we get this beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to do in restoration when he makes all things new. And guess what? We get placed back into a garden. So God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And we have this new Jerusalem, this new city. And there's a a river that is going through it and there is a tree and that we're eating from that tree and we're in this new garden but in this new garden there's there's no more possibility of sin there's no more tree of knowledge of good and evil there's there's none of that because he's made all things new jesus is at the center and we will now live eternally in a recreated heaven and earth that jesus has eradicated sin he's eradicated death so now we know him in this new creation in this new garden We know him fully and perfectly because we know that God is not only a God who loves us and created us, but he's a God who redeems us. And I think I accidentally just answered the question for next week, but... (laughs) To an extent that is totally true. But that's the full circle of the story that we are are in the middle of. And that's why, you know, Renaud mentioned exile, that we're in this in-between state where Jesus has already come to rescue us but we've not yet experienced the full reality of restoration because we still live on, as Renault often calls it, planet death, right? <laughs> yeah. And so here we are right now at this moment of history, 2019, Winter Garden, Florida. We are here in between rescue and full restoration. And we await our full restoration when we finish this life on earth, whether that is we take our last breath and we die and we go meet Jesus or Jesus returns to make all things new. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that that's such a cool picture. It's Jesus didn't die in defeat, sin and death for a reset. So like we get another shot at... Oh, yeah. At why, you know, Pe- like people a, like say a Jesus came to give us a clean slate. And I think that, that that's a total miss of the gospel because he didn't just, you know... Uh, eraser like he didn't just eraser our past yeah. and this is getting into the theology of the gospel we'll get we'll get into it but he didn't give us a reset he gave us something altogether brand new brand new yeah. better than the garden yeah and that is his whole intent and the whole story and when we see him as author of this beautiful story that ultimately gets us all uh, something beyond imagination you start beginning to see why he let things happen the way that they did because he wrote them into the story for this end Um, But I do think that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the gospel story is that creation and its intent, fall and its consequence, rescue and its beauty, restoration and its hope, right? And that's, so as as you're telling the gospel story to somebody, uh, that's really, if you have in your head, creation, fall, rescue, restoration, and then you just understand what each of those particular things, what's important about them. What's important about creation? The purpose of it. What's important about the fall? The consequence of it. What's important about the rescue? The beauty of it. Mm. What's important about the restoration? The hope of it. That's great. Then, then you've got this like, okay, now I can share the story of the gospel with a friend. And uh, there's actually an app, we'll touch base at the end, but called the Story App, that if you're part of Mosaic, then you know... Uh, we've we've talked about that here, but it's just a free app on the App Store for any device. And it's an amazing app that essentially takes everything we just talked about and just puts it into super simple terms with the scriptures that go with each. It's a great tool that's easy to use, and it has a fantastic video tied to it that actually can be played in like hundreds of languages. That's so, so cool. It's super cool. <laughs> Highly recommend that you download the Story app and use that as a tool either to get to know the gospel better and then be able to share it without the app or even using the app with a friend and flipping through it because ultimately it just takes us through the narrative. I think we've got Justin Valiquet with us. Uh, Jetty uh, is with yeah. us. And uh, he's, he's one of our church planning partners in Italy. So how cool is that, that he can use the story app, that, that your congregation, Jetty, can use the story app uh, in Italian? Yeah, how cool. absolutely. How cool is that? You can yeah. play the video in Italian. Yeah, that's really cool. fun. That's awesome. So now... What becomes interesting 
is that as we understand the narrative, the, the story of sure. the gospel, there are still questions that linger about, okay, so when Jesus died for us, what exactly did he do? I mean, we know he rescued us from this virus sin, but, but how did that happen? And what does it mean that he rescued us from the virus sin? And, and, and what was the virus's impact? And this is where the doctrine of the theology beca- of, of the gospel becomes so beautiful. That's why I love the doctrine. Like when I pop the engine, like a person who understands how a car works when you pop that engine, really they're not interested in sitting in the seat in the car when they're buying a car. What are they interested in? They're waiting for you to pop the engine because they're like, I want to see how many horsepower, what's, what's the horsepower, yeah. what's this. In some ways, as I've gotten to know the doctrine of the gospel, it hasn't, um, it hasn't limited the beauty of the story by becoming more systematic. It's actually enhanced the beauty of the story. Absolutely. Because you're like, oh, that's what he was doing. That's insane. So the, just like the story of the gospel has four primary ideas, right? It has the idea of creation and then fall and then rescue and then restoration. The theology or doctrine of the gospel also has four primary ideas. And those primary ideas have four words. Uh, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are the four primary words there. And each of them have a particular definition that then helps us understand. And they so, all deal specifically with how our personal story interacts with the big that's story. Right. Right. That's so, right. So how God is saving individuals in yes. the midst of this grand story. Yeah. So not so much as the story telling us about our origin and why we're dead and all that. It's saying you were dead. How did he undo that? That's what the theology or doctrine of the gospel does. Is how did this actually happen? And so it, it makes sense that the first word would, would be regeneration. Because what does regeneration ultimately mean? It means to regenerate something is to take something that's dead right. and to make it alive, to breathe right. life into it. Right. So our story begins, the good news, the gospel begins with this. Jesus came. That's the good news. And why is that good news? Because he made us alive when we were dead. Ephesians 2. We were dead in our transgressions and we behaved this way. But God, because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. So regeneration is where the story begins. We have been made alive. And that's fantastic news. Yeah. And because our hearts are dead, um, God God comes and says, hey, I'm going to you know, Ezekiel promises this. I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put my spirit within you and I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is taking what is dead and uh, a heart of stone and giving us an alive heart of flesh, a heart that looks at Jesus with the eyes that we should have looked at Jesus with in the Garden of Eden, where it says, you are my divinity. Yeah. I'm no longer my, my own divinity. I'm no longer dead in my tra- transgressions, but I'm, I am looking at you with the life that you have given me. And that is the beauty of regeneration. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about the need for us to be born again. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. uh, Renault was talking about this a while back where people talk about being a born-again Christian and that, that, that's kind of a redundant thing because you can't be a Christian without being right. <clears throat> born again. And so... Uh, you know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do we get eternal life? What does that look like? And Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. Of course, Nicodemus is a little confused because he's thinking, I'm a full grown guy. <laughs> if I were to get crawl back up into my mother's womb, that's bad. Right. The biology um, of that doesn't like there's like, like a C-section will not take care of that. Right. Okay. So uh, this is a problem. And then yeah. Jesus says, no, this this birth that we're talking about. This isn't a physical birth. This is a spiritual rebirth that we need because our we were created and we lost our life with sin. And so, so we, we were, were dead. We were born dead. Born dead. And now we physically are physically alive, spiritually yep. dead. And now we're being made alive, and that's called regeneration. Right. So the doctrine of the gospel starts here. He regenerates you. Yeah. Wow, that's great news. Great okay, news. But what's super cool about that is not only does he just simply regenerate our spirit, but he also then justifies us. So justification is now something, something of a gift that God gives us that explains to us how the virus of sin that was in us is removed from us. So, what, so the impact of the virus, death, we are made alive. And the virus itself, sin, is neutralized. So, so this is pretty cool. I'm made alive, and then I neutralize the virus in you. 
I bring you back to life, then I neutralize the virus. And here's the neutralizing of the virus. The virus is sin. And what is sin? Sin is unrighteousness. It is guilt. It is me being guilty of, a, uh, of what I'm accused of, right? So I have behaved unrighteously or I am unrighteous by nature. And when I'm accused of that, I am declared guilty because I am that. Jesus was not guilty. He did not sin. He was righteous in everything he did. He died a guiltless death. He died a death that he shouldn't have died. It was actually an unjust death, whereas our death is just, right? And so when... when Meaning that Jesus didn't deserve the death that he died, meaning that he went to the cross sinless. Sinless. But that he became... But he became sin. So a just act would be my death because I'm sinful, right? Renaud's Eternally death. speaking, Renault's death. death. Yeah. But an unjust death would be Christ's death, but he died instead. And when he did, and he took on sin, he died because he took our sin upon us, the virus. And in his death and resurrection, the Bible says he justifies us. Now what that means is to essentially make us righteous or declare us righteous. So the virus sin is, is neutralized because we are no longer considered sin we are now considered righteous not because we're righteous but because he makes us righteous yeah the bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness the righteousness of god God. i mean just think about that it's amazing so you have jesus who did not deserve to be crucified on the cross um you know when we talk about the, the the justice of god right Jesus dies a death on a cross that we justly deserved. And so in that sense, it's an unjust death. But Jesus willingly gives his life for us on the cross that he willingly, I mean, he said it to to Caesar uh, or to to Pilate. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly give it. So Jesus goes on the cross. He becomes sin for us. Not only was he crucified under the Roman Empire, which is the human death that he died, uh, crucified as a criminal, although he never sinned, never never broke the law, uh, that was unjust. But then he also dies a death under the wrath of God. So it isn't that Jesus just died crucified by the Romans. It's that Jesus died crucified by the Romans to absorb the wrath of God. So facing God, the wrath, of God. facing yeah. the wrath of God. So God pours out His wrath on Jesus on the cross who has now become our sin. He who knew no sin, who never sinned, became sin for us so that God's wrath could be poured out on sin on the cross so that every lie, every theft, every murder, every rape, every war, everything that that humankind has ever committed uh, to oppress one another, to sin against God, Jesus absorbed the righteous and holy, just wrath of God on the cross that our sin deserves so that we can become the righteousness of God. And that's captured in a word. Yeah. We are justified. Yeah. Justification. So you see how beautiful that word now is. Yeah. It is the substitution of our unrighteousness to him so that his righteousness comes to us. And this is why faith is such a powerful and beautiful picture of how we receive Jesus is it's again us saying, I don't trust my power or my righteousness. I trust yours. And I'm asking you to substitute yours for mine. See, and this is what's so great too. And why it's not just a clean slate. Jesus didn't give us a do over. He didn't give us a mulligan. Like, (laughs) What Jesus gave us, it's the big, it's the imputation of righteousness. So he takes away our sin and then he gives us his righteousness. So this is better than a clean slate. This is better than a do-over. This is a, what theolo- or, uh, Martin Luther, you know, calls the great exchange. The great exchange, yeah. that, that he exchanges our sin, takes that upon himself, and then he gives us, imputes his righteousness yep. upon us. And, and then, so good. I didn't know we were going to church today. Hey-o. But this, here we uh, hey, two but, or more but, are gathered, but, yeah. you know. But you do begin to see why the doctrine <laughs> of, the, uh, of the gospel is just as extraordinary to dig into as the story of Absolutely. the gospel. Absolutely. Because it is where the explanation of these things becomes like mind-blowing. Yeah. And then after he has regenerated us by his, because of his great love, 
he has justified us by the great work of his uh, voluntary act of taking on our sin and dying for us. Then it says that he sanctifies us. And sanctification is this guarantee, and that's Mm. what I love about it, this guarantee that he will, in our process, make us fully righteous. He will conform us to what he's already imputed on us. And so... That we are we are actually invited to participate in that That's journey right. of sanctification, but we are not responsible for it because he says through Paul and Philippians, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion right. on the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. So my sanctification is not my part. It's part of his promise, part of his grace, part of his mercy, but it is a part I get to participate yeah, we in. Participate. My justification yeah. is not my part, but I get to participate in it after I've been regenerated because I present faith. Yeah. But the faith was part of my regeneration <laughs> that God gifted me, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus, the, the author, author and finisher of your faith. Mm-hmm. So do you see how God is constantly restoring both our created purpose to participate in making him known and our created um, purpose in knowing him and therefore being free. So yeah. here's what he does. I regenerate you. That one's completely on me, right? So he's like, I'll make you alive. But then I will justify you as you present through faith, faith, through faith. Yeah. And you participate, I do it. But it is a guarantee. If I've made you alive, I've given you faith, you're doing it. Then I will sanctify you, yeah. but you get to work at sanctification because that's a progressive yeah. theology. In other words, each day, as I trust Jesus more and I believe him, I know his word, I know, I know his spirit, I will begin to behave in contrary to my body of sin and the world of sin and behave toward Jesus. Yeah, it's a progressive reality yeah. that begins at justification. It begins at salvation, yep. right? And then it is a course of life that, that the process of sanctification never ends until we take our last breath. That's and, right. And that, that is, that and is at that journey, last breath, right? he completes us. Yeah. And so that's a guarantee. And then the final piece, glorification, mm-hmm. which is ultimately just Jesus saying this. So the super, super, super duper good news is that the consequence of my regenerating you and the consequence of my guaranteeing your justification and the consequence of my finishing the work in you is that you will be glorified. In other words, you will get the brand new. Right. You will get the brand new. Yep. That's a guarantee. That it's brand new body. Earth, that brand new body, the brand new thing. Yeah. That, not I'll Garden leave. of Eden, yeah. but the brand new yeah. is a part of the reality and implications of the gospel. Yeah. So yeah. here's the really good news. In creation, I was created for this, and this purpose to know God and make him known and live in freedom. My human ancestors voluntarily chose to follow their own path, and, and in so doing... And we, and we also and we did that them. as well, yep. so not just uh, them. <laughs> through that, sin, the virus entered, and that affected death. Jesus rescued us by his life and death and resurrection... And now watch, I bring the theology in there, which is regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. And he redeems our future. I mean, sorry, not glorification. And he redeems our future, which is then glorification. So when you're sharing the gospel, as you get to know this stuff well, just and look, there are simple definitions. It's not difficult. It's not complicated stuff. You get to tell the gospel story using the gospel doctrine to demonstrate the beauty of the story when you get to the part of his rescue and our future. Yeah. And that's how the two come together. Yeah, and, and, you know, as you... The goal of this is not to have some big words to throw around. Right. But the goal of this is to have some fluency so that you can explain. I'm, I'm only laughing because, because looks- I see Amanda laughing who's always in the background <laughs> doing amazing stuff for us because I bet some of you are commenting some pretty cool and stuff. Going. Yeah. And we're just talking 100 this miles an hour. This is the segue that I Justin can't get yeah. a word through. <laughs> yeah. And Amanda's trying to tell him th- of a little thing. Like, do something to these two bozos who won't <laughs> yeah. shut up. So and we so- got but this minutes. is how excited I get about the gospel, Come just FYI. So, yeah. Justin, talk awesome. to us, baby. Talk to Do us. Do we have questions? <laughs> we love we you guys. Fun. We want you to participate. We're just a little overexcited right we've now. We've got um, – I, I love this because while we've been having a really incredible conversation, there's been an awesome conversation in the comment section. We're not going to be able to get to all, all of, of the yeah, questions no that have been asked. But I think that there's one that really resonates, and I think it resonates both with – believers and non-believers because there's obviously two different contexts in which you could ask this question yeah but chip hawthorne our good buddy hey, hey chip. chip chip something about uh ask this what would you say to someone who is stuck in a sin and wants freedom but doesn't have motivation to stop and this obviously came about when we were talking about jesus and him 
you know, taking the sin from us and like that whole time. And Chip asked this question. I was like, man, that is that's good because it's applicable to both believers, but also to non-believers when we're having this question with them. So what would your answer be? Okay. A gr- in that? That's a great question, Chip. And, <coughs> and, and I, would, I would say my answer is very different depending on whether it's a non-believer sure. or a believer. And, and here's why I would say that. To, to the non-believer, the person who is, as, we, as far as we can tell, not been regenerated, not justified, uh, is not in the process of sanctification yet and uh, will not be glorified right, right now, right? We use that as a means to continue to demonstrate to our non-believing friends both the hold that sin has on us and its consequences, but also the beauty of freedom. So, for example, when a non-believer finally gets free of an addiction that they've had for a long time, there is always an experience of freedom from that. Sin, whenever we get away from it, the, the production is a version of freedom. It may not be an eternal freedom because we're not justified by Christ, but it is a temporal freedom. On this planet, people that behave according to Scripture have a much better general experience of freedom. If you handle your money biblically, you, it's going to be a whole lot better than the other way. If you handle marriage biblically, it's a whole lot better. So there is this, this clarity that when you can break away from sin. So for a non-believer, I'm engaging with them. I'm encouraging them. I'm saying, hey... If you do this, remember, then you won't feel burdened by that, and this won't be true. And I'm supporting them the best I can. Uh, But remembering that it's still ultimately their choice. If they choose to get free from it, then I'm using that as an opportunity to share the whole gospel. Man, this little taste of freedom, that's nothing comparatively to this great... Yeah, I mean, I think the the non-believer, if they're saying hey, I'm stuck in, in this sin. I know this is dim- damaging. I, I know that this, and most non-believers are not going to use the term sin, right? But they're going to say, this, this is who I am and I can't get out of that. That is the biggest opportunity for us to say, Jesus is the answer to this problem, right? And, and Jesus is the answer in two ways. He's the answer like for forgiveness from God. So your relationship with God can be repaired by Jesus for, for this. And then secondly, like when Jesus steps into your world and the Holy Spirit enters your life, he is going to give you the power to overcome sin as you progress in sanctification. And for a believer, if you're saying, hey, I don't have the desire to get away from this, it is replacement of a better desire. Mm. If I am addicted to Coca-Cola and I come to you and say, I can't stop drinking Coke, what do I do? And you say to me, well, you just got to try really hard and stop drinking Coca-Cola, but don't drink anything else. I'm going to die of thirst because there is some semblance of water in Coca-Cola and people can, I guess, somewhat survive. You know, if they eat enough food like watermelon, maybe too. I don't know. But with with replacing that Coca-Cola with water and saying, this is actually what you really, really need, suddenly and soon enough, my desire for Coca-Cola goes away. In our walk with Jesus, if I am struggling with a specific sin, more than anything, what I need is a greater vision of who Jesus is. What I need is a greater clarity of the gospel. Uh, What I need is to love Jesus more. It's like that old song says, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful uh, face, for the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's Hebrews 12 that we uh, throw off every sin that so easily entangles. How do we do that? Looking to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, that he is our prize, that he is what is better. And I think he ultimately, replaces our, our desires yeah, for in sin. that, in practicality, as I'm talking to people, what I'm, what I'm helping them see whenever I'm talking to a believer, especially a believer stuck in sin, is that freedom, which is the longing of our heart that Jesus affects for us, is both eternal and temporal. Yeah. The eternal freedom is through faith in Jesus and all those things we just talked about. The temporal freedom is trusting his way more than my own and beginning to dig into that. And so I can change any habit or anything when the reason I'm doing it is not to beat my way through it, but that I've come to realize, wow... Jesus' intent for me is freedom, even temporarily. So the more I trust his way, the, the better that freedom is going to be and the more I'm going to be able to make him known. Now I need some friends who are going to support me and help me walk through this addiction or this sin struggle because ultimately we're stuck in sin because it does produce some temporal sense of a different desire or pleasure that we're yeah, after. Yeah, we sin because we like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we need to learn to like something more. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the gospel, when we start digging into the freedom, helps us do that. 
Yeah. Well, I am really glad I got to be here with you guys. I, we could obviously keep going yes, for we could. days and weeks and months. <laughs> but uh, next week we will. And we should keep it. going. Like, that's yeah. the thing about these kind of conversations. We yeah. need them every day. Right? And that's what I'm excited about for next week is because, because clearly, I mean, if you guys can go back and look at the feed, yeah. these conversations lead to tons of questions. Yeah. And we will and do that. We'll actually go look through the feed pick up some questions that maybe next week would be appropriate to answer. Yeah. So and we'll those questions are being asked by Christians and non-Christians alike about this whole idea of the gospel, and it's great to unpack it, but then I'm really excited for next week to be able to answer some of those and equip people to say, hey, you're asking this question, and so are many of the people around you that yeah. you care deeply about and that you're trying to share this incredible truth with. So I'm excited about that. We're sorry that we didn't get to all of the questions. Uh this is one of those topics where it's just there's so much um, and we try to like nail as much of it as we can keep it as concise as possible but the goal the goal today was to be able to in this hour give you a simplicity of the story of the gospel and the doctrine of the gospel which was the goal for today and now the implications to that the questions and other things we will jump into for as many weeks as we need to but hopefully next week we'll cover a lot of ground yeah So thank you again for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys for being here and having me here. It was a great honor to be here and be in church with you guys on a Wednesday. Come on. Love it. Um, And we look forward to seeing you guys next week with us here with Lunch Hour with Renault. Awesome. Can't wait. You guys took me to church. Hey, it's so good. That's awesome. I mean, the gospel stuff is so exciting, though. I mean, it really, really is nothing more exciting. And we just skipped a rocket across the